You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Welcome to another edition of the Bo's Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it's another great, beautiful summer day here in the Pacific Northwest. Getting to feel a little bit like fall, though. It's not quite as hot, and the wind's sort of blowing and all. It, It has a little bit of that fall sense to it, but, you know, it's kind of different because it doesn't seem like it's fall because there's not going to be duck football. The high school team hasn't been practicing across the street from the house here. And uh, looks like the U of O has decided it's going to do distance learning this fall too. Uh, They just came out with that decision today. So even though it feels like fall outside, it's not looking very much like fall uh, as far as, uh, everything else goes due to COVID. So we got so much to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show, but I always tell people and remind people that we'll talk about what you want to talk about. All you have to do is give us a call at 646-721-9887. Just press one and that lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one. And uh, Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, will hook you up with me and, and we'll have a conversation about what you want to talk about or, you know, hear your comments. And one of the first things I want to hear from folks about, and I, I guess I've seen a lot of comment on Facebook about this um, and social media. So, uh, And then I've got a goodly amount of emails prior to our meeting yesterday and even after our meeting is the idea of changing the name of Lane County. And uh, that idea, um, you know, kind of has been batted about even before I became a commissioner way back in 2011, because General Joseph Lane, who Lane County is named after, but it's not, he's not specifically mentioned in our charter. Um, But if you go, you know, to the um, the history of Lane County and also just the state archives, we are named after General Joseph Lane. Was our first territorial governor appointed by President Polk, but he had some other history that some people are just generally not terribly um, happy about, uh, and having him being who we're honoring with our county name. He... Uh, you know, was the vice presidential candidate for the southern wing of the Democratic Party at a time when uh, they were definitively uh, not, you know, you know, uh, 
not for uh, emancipation. They were definitely pro-slavery at that wing of the party at the time. And he even um, had uh, a young uh, Native American boy as a um, that was given to him from another from a tribe that captured him, him during a, a war between another tribe. So it was this tribal slave that was given to him, and he kept in his household. And even after slavery had been abolished, he kept an, a quote apprentice, as they call it, at that at that time. Uh, which was a workaround for slavery, um, you know, until the person became of adult age and gets emancipated from their apprenticeship. But up until then, they basically work in somebody's household as a domestic um, slave uh, with no pay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he, yeah, time and time again, there's things about him that aren't, you know, people aren't real comfortable with being the person that honors. Um, so, you know, we, we uh, folks have been asking for us to do something different. And basically the board has said, we'll look into it. Um, and we, we had staff at least do a little bit of a history research, but unfortunately due, due to COVID, they couldn't actually go look up source documents in some of the, you know, Lane Historical Society and U of O uh, archives and a few other places uh, to, to verify some factual history of, of, of Joseph Lane, but there's enough there uh, available that it's it's pretty obvious the guy, um, you know, was very pro-slavery and uh, you know wasn't exactly you know uh, um, somebody that that was willing to treat all people equally. Uh, so, and, and mind you, during that time, that wasn't an unusual thing. So, you know, you have to put people in their place in history, but, uh, that was at least 100 years after emancipation movements had started, um, throughout, uh, Northeastern U.S. And there was enough education out there, um, that, uh, you know, by that point in history, you, you kind of wonder about, you know, why somebody would continue to support slavery. Um, we have this, this conundrum in front of us, though, if we actually change the name of Lane County to something other than Lane County. It's a, a fairly expensive undertaking. Uh, one, we have to do it by a vote of the people. It's required because our charter specifically says our name is Lane County or will continue to be Lane County as because our home rule charter was actually uh, didn't get approved until the sixties. Uh, so we were already Lane County when our home rule charter was written, but our charter is there with that name in it. So we'd have to amend it. And the only way to amend a County charter is by a vote of the people. So to actually change the name, there's no other way to do it than by a vote of the people. Now, what, one of the things we could do is rededicate the county to a different person with the last name of Lane or first name of Lane. I've heard somebody jokingly talk about, you know, honoring either Lois Lane or Lane Bryant, you know, the, the, the designer that the stores are, you know, named after. Uh, <laughs> but 
you know, I think there's some other lanes that would be a lot better choices. Somebody's talked about um, Harry Lane, who was the grandson of Joseph Lane, who was actually um, somebody that that fought for women's suffrage and Native American rights, uh, their their uh, treaty rights. So he actually has a, a lot, whole lot different history than his grandfather did. Um, and there's a couple, there's a medical doctor with the last name Elaine that did a lot of amazing research from Oregon. Uh, there's been a you know a few other names bat, batted about, but the rededication would, you know, could be done really easily by a vote of the board. You know, I'm not terribly in favor of that because I really think this needs to be a decision of the citizenship. And I expressed that yesterday that whether we rename the county or rededicate it, I wanted either one to go on the ballot. And uh, that was kind of something that's important to me. And if we do a rededication, there's, it's not going to create a lot of cost. It's not going to create issues for businesses that have lane in the name or organizations that have lane in the name. Um, you know, you think about everything from lane fire authority to ULANO credit union, um, you know, going to a different county name is going to kind of make that, that, those entities kind of adrift. Um, not to mention every business card, every piece of letterhead, every piece of signage that has Lane County on it, like our park signs, and it, it, you name it. You know, think how many signs have Lane County parks on them? Uh, <laughs> how many signs entering the county say Lane County? And then, of course, there's even a cost to the state because then they have to change everything there. Um, so an actual name change is a hugely expensive um, proposition. So it, I'm not really in favor of that at all. Uh, you know, for me, it's rededication or do nothing. And for me, even rededication should be voted on by the people. But, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of um, Email traffic, uh, quite a few are supporting the idea of a rededication uh, and honoring uh, Harry Lane. I see several that want us to be Kalyapua County in honor of the Kalyapua people who were um, native to this area before they were pushed out by the settlers. And um, the, uh, you know, I've, I've heard a couple other different names people have proposed. And of course, I'm the majority of people are like, why are we even talking about this? You can't really erase the history. Joseph Lane will still have been who the county was originally named after, even if you rededicate it. And, you know, isn't there some cost even to doing a rededication? There'll be a little bit. You know, there'll be some staff time and running stuff in front of the board. We've already spent staff time on this. Um, and we just uh, really, uh, are trying, you know, if we do hold an election, as long as we do an election during a period where we're already holding an election, there's very little cost to adding a question about, re, you know, should Lane County re, be rededicated uh, to honor, you know, whoever we choose to, to place on the ballot to honor. Um, so, Minor costs when you think about uh, an organization that has a $700 million annual budget, um, you're talking things in the thousands of dollars um, not and not even past 
100,000 probably to do a rededication and even hold the vote. Um, so fairly minor, um, and I would probably think it'd probably be just in the 10, you know, 10, 20,000 total cost. So that's not really a, a issue on the rededication, but I kind of curious, um, you know, what, what, what do you, what do people think? You know, I'm hearing the leave it alone, uh, re, re, you know, changing lanes is okay. That's what, you know, a lot of people are referring to the rededication work. Changing names, you know, is, is what we, we have to do that. We, you know, we, we need to, you know, changing lanes isn't enough. We got to change names. Um, I'm just not there. I don't, I don't get to the changing, completely changing the name. Uh, I'm good with changing lanes if the people support it in a, in a vote of the people. And I think it's important because I think that election to, to re, you know, that would approve a rededication can be the point where people get educated about the history and who Joseph Lane really was. Because a lot of people have no idea who Joseph Lane even was and that we're actually named after General Joseph Lane. So, um, Robin, I just want to ask real quick, is Amanda uh, just listening or is she waiting to get, to get in with a comment? Uh, Amanda's waiting to talk to you. Well, great. Then why don't we bring Amanda on and find out what she wants to talk about? Welcome to the show, Amanda. Hi. Um, Sorry, I I just happened to stumble upon this. um, I'm not from your area. But in listening to what you're saying, and I know it's a sensitive issue, so maybe I shouldn't weigh in at all. But I like what you're saying. Well, I liked a couple of things you're saying. One, it's fall. Does it really feel like fall? Because these extracurricular activities for the kids, you know, it's not it's not the norm right now. And the other thing I like you saying is about understanding, having an understanding of a historical past, for better or worse, and kind of how there may be some benefit to that as far as you know, instead of trying to erase it, just sort of what does it mean to you, and let's let's try to get past it in in a way that doesn't overly sensitize or erase what has been. It just tries to make it better. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, it does. And and that's kind of where I am. It's like we can't really change the fact that. Lane County was named after General Joseph Lane when it came into existence, you know, almost 150 years ago. Um, but we can stop honoring him and, 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 and recognize his, his very um, pro-slavery beliefs that he had. Uh, you know, and it's difficult for me to not want to do that because um, I've expressed on this show and, and in public very often my concern about human trafficking and and uh, that's you know modern day form of slavery. Uh, so it's like how can we continue to honor somebody that that was actually a proponent of slavery uh, and advocated for. Uh, freed slaves to be excluded from the state of Oregon in our founding statehood documents. <laughs> yeah, he, he was that far you know, along in that side and, and continued to even kind of, you know, perpetuate slavery through 
um, the, his quote apprenticeship um, of a young man uh, even after it was made illegal in this country. Uh, so right. Well, I mean, to me, it just seems, I mean, yes, it's common sense. You know, slavery is bad. Human trafficking is bad. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. Everyone knows these things are so, but what I what I would suggest is that maybe, um, not to that degree, but I'm saying, you know, people in general, we all make mistakes. We all have skeletons in our closet. It's like it's like people are just reaching to look for reasons to demonize anyone and everything. And and I don't I don't entirely understand why. I mean I'm I'm more for you know forgiveness and education and kind of moving on, you know, instead yeah. of yeah. focusing on all these things and and let's debate it. I mean there has to be a better use of time. Yeah, and, I, and like I said, you got to place people sometimes in that historical context. Like there's some people now that think that they ought to change the name of John Wayne airport because of some of the things he said way back in the fifties and sixties. But you know, in that time period, those weren't unusual statements for somebody to make. Um, and you got to sort of play that in context uh, with time. Uh, and just like it wasn't unusual at the time, uh, you know, of, our, our early statehood here in Oregon, that folks were pro-slavery. Um, it, it wasn't a majority, and it, you know, but there was enough here that, that, that Oregon has some pretty um, uh, racist laws that were first on our books, um, and the Ku Klux Klan actually had a fairly strong presence here in Oregon at one point. Um, That's surprising but, to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, so it, well, I'm, I'm calling. I'm calling from Kentucky, and honestly, I, I would not, I would never have thought, you know, in the Northeast, like Oregon, West, it, whatever, Northwest. Sorry, but I just, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have. That wouldn't have occurred to me. Well, it, it's interesting because Oregon um, was found. You know, a lot of the settlers that came out the Oregon Trail came from the South, um, and so there was a fair amount of. Uh, racism that came with them and if and oregon as you look at our our population demographics is a very white state um in general so it was easy to continue that perpetuation for a lot of years so we do have we have some history here that's not good um but a lot of those laws have been taken off the books they're they're gone they haven't been you know things have greatly changed here and now yeah, most people think of think of us as very progressive and left. Right, yeah. right, and, and that's sort and, of where and, I sit. And and I would say too, you know, for the people who live in Lane County, what does it mean to you? I'm I'm sure you don't think about this person and what his personal habits were a, a zillion years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, I understand. I got they had no idea who Lane County was even named after. <laughs> Right. And and I'm not saying, but I'm saying if you want to dig into the history, I mean, let's just face the facts. I mean, you can't erase all history of all time. I mean, there's some yep. ugly stuff that you could tie to just about anything if you try hard enough. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I you, sort of feel like... It, 
Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, if you look at my last name, it's obviously Slavic descent. And if you go far enough back, the reason they call us Slavic is because we were traditionally overrun by the Romans, the Greeks, and and every other power in, in the, uh, you know, that area of Europe and made slaves. <laughs> right. And, and it's a derivation of, of, of that word that, that Slavic comes from. You know, but I, you know, that was far enough in the past that, you know, obviously I'm, I'm now considered to have white privilege. Um, and, uh, and well, you know, there's it, a couple things I just would like to say before I go. And one is, one is a question and the other, I just, I, I want to share this. So this is when everybody was up in arms and tearing down the statues of Christopher Columbus or whoever else that was, you know, so, and, and my thought was, you know, I just get a little bit frustrated by all the anger and destruction. I mean, I, I understand. Yeah. He was not maybe the greatest guy. Okay. But, you know, I'm just saying, how does more, more anger and more destruction and more upset like, how is that helpful? And a friend of mine said to me, okay, well then, what if it was a statue of Hitler? Well, obviously, I'm saying, you know, but the fact remains that these are all elements of our history, and you, 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 you'd be hard-pressed to undo it all. I mean, there is no perfection amongst human beings, and no one is trying to support, well, in my opinion, no one with good sense would try to support that type of nonsense. You know, so I, yeah. I don't understand. I mean, I, I can understand why you would think don't have statues of these people. Don't name towns after these people. I get it, but I sort of feel like it's a red herring. Like with everything else going on, why are we so focused on that? Yeah. Yeah, and and I wish some people would actually do some reading on Columbus. Um, he actually got quite upset at some of his, uh, I don't know if you want to call him middle management, but some of the uh, uh, demi-royalty that, that ended up coming over with him and got left in charge of, of certain colonies and how they treated the natives. Um, he was, you know, when they right. basically started killing him and taking him, taking everything. He was mad at those guys. And in fact, at one point, one of his, his governors of, of a colony imprisoned him. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's just, if you want to, if you want to really dig deep enough, you could find dirt on anyone or anything. And it's just like, how far, how far do you want to follow these convictions? So yeah. here we are in the United States with land and citizenship with the history that we have, but it's, it's been entirely unfair from the get go. So then yeah. what do we do? I mean, I'm saying a yeah. name change is one thing, but the fact remains that what happened happens. Yeah. And our ancestors well, allowed it to happen and we're riding on yeah. those coattails. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's part of one of the things some people are saying is, is that, you know, we've built up this, um, 
power structure based on riding on those coattails and there needs to be some kind of readjustment. But it's kind of, I think that that's been so far in the past. Um, You know, for me, it's difficult to, to say that you, that there hasn't been equal opportunity, um, you know, for at least, you know, my lifetime. You know, I, I, I know many people my age and even older that had, that rose out of, you know, desperate poverty and horrible circumstances to, to be very right. well off in, in this, in I this mean, country. Oh. Yes. And if you look back at it, yes, there have been egregious crimes committed that no one could ever possibly deny or compensate for. And there is no changing that. You, yep. a name change. I don't know. Like I said, I feel like it's almost, it almost minimalizes it. Like, like it's it's more of a mindset than it is. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, let's just practice in our own lives things we can do to see equality in practice. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that, that's I kind of I, one of the things I've always talked about is just you know concentrate on yourself sometimes and making sure you're not judging people based on color or ethnicity, religion, you know, that you're dealing with people as individuals and judging them by the content of their character. Um, yeah. That, you know, I mean, because we've we got can't... what we've got at this point. So maybe we yeah. could just work on not, not, um, not looking for how to, tear down or sort of, um, I don't know, you know, just decimate these characters from the past. But instead of focusing so much on the past, maybe we could try to focus on the present. I just think that would be a good thing. Which brings me to the question I had for you. All right. All right. So my question is this, and I'm sorry, again, if I sound insensitive, but... I I want someone to maybe help me understand or just publicly give me an opinion. Does concerning this whole coronavirus situation does the end justify the means? Meaning And again, I don't want to sound insensitive, but, you know, we're faced with this thing, and I'm just wondering to myself, being that I think it's 80% have mild to moderate symptoms, if they have symptoms at all, I mean, you know, so 20% more serious symptoms, maybe 2 to 4%, it's, it's, you know, really not a good situation. Okay, but let's look at the other, so two to four, okay, so let's look at the other 96 to 98% of us. And it may be easy for me to say that, being that I sit in that, you know, 98%. But what I'm saying is, if you look at this, even though it's a, a bug, a germ, you know, but if you look at this as kind of an attack, I mean, for heaven's sakes. We're, we're sort of allowing ourselves to be controlled by this thing. And I just don't know that it makes 
entire sense. Am I looking at this wrong? Am I just being really insensitive and awful? Because that's how I'm made to feel about it. Thinking no. it's, it's taking away, you know, jobs, education, travel, you name it, all the things that, like, we're all just trying to make the best of it. Okay, we can't leave the house, so we'll do a video game more time on a computer, or we'll do yeah. a board game, or whatever it may be. But I'm saying, you know, just, my daughter's lucky because she's in private school, so she was actually yeah. allowed to start school, which is another issue, because to me, that's like elitism at its finest. Why Why is she allowed to start school? Because she's in private school, where the kids that are in public school can't. And the other problem I have, she's eight years old, so this is going to be some of her earliest remembrance of how life works. You know, it's going to be wearing these masks. She has to wear them all day at school. I mean, I just, I just don't know that it makes sense, given the ramifications economically and socially for our kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, I... My remembrances from, you know, early childhood were doing bomb drills and hiding under our desk during the bomb drills. Uh, so <laughs> wearing a mask might be a little less uh, uh, nightmare creating. Well, that's <laughs> but, that's uh, creating yeah. fear too, and I understand, but you, you know, yeah. and that you have to think about how much. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that the, the nuclear threat was very overplayed somewhat at the time too. You know, people were just deathly afraid of, of you know, the bomb, you know, and, and, and doing these bomb drills was just kind of part of that overplaying of that, that actual threat. Well, you, but you I know, don't and it's feel funny, now that, now that you say that, I had never yeah. seen the parallel, but actually getting under your desk during a nuclear attack in my mind, would be much like wearing a thin cotton mask to avoid a virus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm there's, sorry. There's, there's some parallels there. Um, and and don't feel bad for, for having some of your thoughts because, you know, I've talked about this. It, the initial, you know, uh, trying to flatten the curve was an important thing for us to do because we didn't know much about COVID at the time. And, and it was still so early and, and this was such a new disease. We had no idea, you know, what the exact mortality rate was, how much, what was, you know, the transmission rate was still unknown, um, what the side effects were, even if you got better, would you have long-term side effects from the disease? And some of that's still not completely known, but we know a lot more now and, uh, as the further we get along with this this pandemic, the more you're starting to balance the long-term impacts of the poverty you're creating, and right. everybody yes. knows. That I've been I've been preaching that from the get-go. Yes. Yeah, poverty has poor health outcomes. People that live in poverty, these folks that are losing their jobs and all that, they're under stress. What's one of the worst things for your health? stress right so as we create and it's not just poverty i mean it's social you know social isolation yeah. mental health divorce yeah. rates you know um domestic yeah. abuse I, all of these things yep uh, we're, we're seeing a higher rates of domestic abuse calls for our sheriff's department here um we're seeing uh 
suicide attempts increase and suicide, you know, successful suicides increase. Um, so you're, you're seeing that mental health component already uh, in, in changes in numbers. And yet, you know, when you really think about this, at least in Oregon, we haven't been hit as hard as a lot of states. Our COVID deaths are basically matching up with the annual death rate from automobile accidents in our state. So well, and that's actually, another point I'd like to make. I mean, if I may, yes. Yeah. I mean, life has risks. We are all aware you cross the street. It's a risk. You get in your car, you take a drive for ice cream. It's a risk. You know, but these are things that we do to live, yeah. you know, because that freedom is valuable to us. I mean, it's like, yeah. I, I just, I feel like people really need to think this through and weigh it out. Because I'm not entirely sure that they are. Like my daughter, in her mind, and I've tried to, her dad and I don't live together, so it's shared time. He watches the news with her way more than I think he should. So in her mind, corona is like instant death. <laughs> no, you know, this is not yeah. Ebola. This is, you know, I said it's kind of like the flu and you've had the flu. It's no big deal. But, you know, she actually, we, we missed a trip with family to Disney because my daughter this summer, because my daughter had such anxiety about this virus and she saw the numbers in Florida at her dad's and she was like, mom, I wouldn't be able to enjoy myself because I'd be so scared all the time of contracting it. And I said, okay, you know, we won't go. So then I got us a beach house. We're going to go in September instead. But you know, even that makes her a little nervous. But not like Disney would have. But it's just, it, I'm thinking about that fear, like what it's doing to our kids. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and, and it's being put out there, you know, partly to, to sway, sway an election. I mean, it's, there's no two ways about it. Uh, you know, they're trying well, to make everybody afraid and then try and blame everything on the current administration. Um, well, I, I so want to hush up and hear hear more about your thoughts on that. But, I, you know, I just also want to say, you know, my daughter, she actually, she's she's very sensitive. And she actually cried when she found out they'd be going back to school. And I was like, oh, third grade, it's going to be fun. And you'll get to see your friends. And, and she was like, no, mom, I'm scared. She's like, what if? What if I accidentally wow. take the virus to school? She was worried about giving it to one of her teachers. Not the other students, but she understands that older people are at more risk. So she didn't want to feel like she was responsible for passing it on to someone else. And, you know, I had to explain to her all of that as best I could and then move on because some of the parenting advice I've gotten, probably the best I've ever gotten, say enough to satisfy them and then shut up because I don't want her to feel that kind of fear. I want her to be able to enjoy starting third grade. I mean, third grade. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that, that, that's just a, a an amazing story, Amanda. And I want to appreciate you calling in and talking about that a little bit because that's you don't hear that part on the news. You don't hear about kids afraid to go to you know on vacation or afraid to go back to school and and crying and stuff because of uh, having watched the news too much. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate well, I wanna... what you said about the election, 
But I kind of wonder, too, though. I mean, this thing did not begin here. I mean, and, and as I've told people, you know, um, my background is in biology and chemistry. And I've worked in a virology lab. And, you know, I've seen other viruses and how they operate. And I've explained to people from the get-go, this thing is not going away. Viruses do not just go away. I mean, it's something that we're going to have to face at some point in time, or we're all just going to be living in a hole out of fear. And I, I realize that might sound dramatic, and I'm, but, you know, I, I no, just I'll, feel like we have to keep it in perspective. And I'll leave yep, it at that. It, it, yep. Thank you, Amanda, and thank you for calling. So that just shows, you know, the power of Internet radio. We're reaching people in Kentucky. But it did, it did provide a different perspective for folks about, you know, changing the, the name of Lane County, you know, from somewhere across the country, but also just a different perspective of the COVID crisis. Um, her eight-year-old daughter has been been traumatized so badly by watching the news with her dad um, that she's afraid of of COVID, afraid of giving it to somebody, afraid of getting it. Um, she thinks it's basically a death sentence. What a horrible, you know, way to be living as an eight-year-old girl. I, I just, that's, I mean, she should be, you know, skipping rope and, and, and playing and, and, you know, having a grand old time uh, at eight years old. Uh, how sad. Um, and speaking of COVID, I, I'm going to, I, I got to get to my second topic that I had queued up for today. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to about two weeks ago because Governor Brown has, has just made me, you know, I, I'm back there again where I am just, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Ah, gosh, got that out of my system. Thank you. Um, she, she's, uh, she held a press conference on Friday and basically the press conference was to kind of threaten Oregonians with the fact that she doesn't feel our numbers of cases are falling fast enough because they are falling. You know, we have, uh, you know, many, much less cases now than we had in early August in the state. Um, but she doesn't think they're falling fast enough. And she basically said she was going to reinstitute a lot of the business closures that she put in place way back in March. Um, if we didn't quote, you know, fix, you know, get our act together. And then at the same time in the same news conference, she basically threw county governments under the bus and said, and it's because, you know, Counties need to do a better job of enforcing the rules, things like the mask mandates and, you know, social distancing and gatherings and stuff like that. And all I could think, you know, when she said that was, oh, my gosh, you're the person who's, along with the leadership of the legislature, has chosen not to pass through the federal funding that was dedicated to local governments, hold on to it for state purposes, and then you're going to get mad at us because we're not doing a good enough job of enforcement, even though you're 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 sitting on the money that should have come to us that we could have used to do enforcement with. 
Not that I really want to be in the business of being the mask police. I mean, I only have three deputies on at any time during the day in a county the size of the state of Connecticut. Um, and and you want my, you know, Lane County sheriffs to, to be writing tickets to people for not wearing a mask. I mean, you know, we talked, you know, last couple of weeks about this whole COVID relief fund and the inequities with how Portland got their share and we're not getting ours. And then she has the audacity to basically throw counties under the bus, counties that have been working incredibly hard to control this disease. In the state of Oregon, for those of you that might be listening from outside, counties are designated as the Board of Health. As a county commissioner, I sit not only as the county commissioner, I also sit as a governing member of the Lane County Board of Health. We have the responsibility for communicable disease control at the county level. It doesn't really happen entirely at the state level. It is actually executed on the ground by counties. We're the ones doing the contact tracing. We're the ones trying to, to manage you know, testing plans and testing resources. We're the ones collecting uh, personal protective equipment, getting it you know, distributed by priority and, and working with our partners in the, in the hospitals and everything else. We're doing all this work to educate. You know, we're putting signage on buses. We're buying ads on Facebook. Uh, you know, we're getting the word out on how to stay safe. And we could be doing more if we were getting our share of the COVID relief funds, yet this governor wants to blame us for her desire to go backwards in time. And we talked about how much damage is being done by the current restrictions, let alone going back to the, to the draconian district restrictions of, of February, March, when she basically shut the state down and created the unemployment problem that she still hasn't been able to fix, even though she got federal money for that 10 years ago that hasn't been spent to fix their computer problems. So there's still people in this state, when they put out, you know, a, a bunch of, you know, $35 million in, in, in $500 checks for people, and, which is for 70,000 people, and they're gone in two days, and the, and the checks were specifically go to people that hadn't gotten their unemployment insurance yet, but earn less than 48,000 a year the previous year. So that's a real subset, even of the people that haven't gotten their unemployment. And those checks are used up in less than three days. But we're the problem. Counties are the problem, not the state. Accept some responsibility, Governor Brown. I mean, I hadn't really supported the recall effort because I think they, they fail more often than not. And, they, and they, all they basically do is give whatever, um, you know, politician that was attempted recall kind of a red badge of courage when they survive them. But, you know, I think I finally am there. This pushed me over the top, Governor Brown. 
your handling of the COVID crisis, your handling of the of the federal funds, and then to, to try and blame counties because you don't think we're we're you know the curve is falling off fast enough, and that you're ready to go back to restrictions that would be horrible for our citizens. Um, and and you know we got to balance risk, just like Amanda was talking about. And you know when you have eight-year-old children scared to go to school, scared to go to Disneyland, Disney World, I should say, over there in Florida. Um, they're, you know, where are we? What are we creating long-term and mental health issues and all that? You know, we what we need to concentrate on is keeping this out of nursing homes, keeping it away from our vulnerable populations. But we should be starting to think about you know, balancing the risk for somebody that's under 60 with the damage we're creating with the with the shutdowns to our economy and the long-term damages that the poverty creates and the stress under that poverty. You know, if you're one of these people that hasn't gotten an unemployment check, you haven't been paying your rent, and, and because of the uh, ban on evictions, you've been able to stay in your place, but you're waiting any minute for that eviction ban to run out of time, and you haven't still haven't gotten your unemployment. How much stress do you think those people are under? Do you know what stress does to your immune system? Who's doing more damage? Governor Brown or the counties? The counties that are actually trying to fix this, that would like to have that federal money so we can provide rent relief to those folks. So we could, if we had that federal money, so we could do a better job of educating people, do a better job of contact tracing, increase the amount of, of you know, funding available to small businesses that have been damaged by the shutdown the restaurants that are operating at less than 50% capacity, you know, the, the gyms that have been basically devastated by this, you know, we, you know, be really nice if we had that same level of funding that Portland got, but our governor, our speaker of the house and our Senate president and the leadership of the supermajority think that the state needs that money more than counties and cities do. Even though we're the ones on the ground dealing with this. So Governor Brown, you 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 get my what were they thinking award for the week. Because you definitely I don't know what you were thinking when you threw counties under the bus last Friday. But you know, we're already upset with how you dealt with the COVID relief funds and then to try and blame us for not enforcing what has become pretty arbitrary rules at times. I mean, how many times are you going to change, you know, when, where do you need to wear a face mask? You know, first it was only inside and then it was, you know, only in, in you know, inside in public places. And then it became, you know, now you got to wear them outside if you can't distance. Then it became, you got to wear them in offices, um, particularly if you're in any hallways or bathrooms or, or, you know, other areas. And, you know, it, it's like, 
it keeps changing. Yeah, it just, I'm just, uh, I'm at a loss for words almost over this one. I just can't understand, um, you know, why you would blame counties. You know, is it, you know, is it a county's fault that, you know, there's a particular food processing plant maybe in their county that has a high, um, you know, level of uh, uh, Hispanics that have been disproportionately affected by this disease um, working for them. So there's a workplace outbreak and their numbers jump out of the roof um, compared to their population. Is that the county's fault? Even though that county has been putting out information in English and Spanish and trying to do outreach to that particular community. And, and uh, you know, here in Lane County, we've actually been holding um, testing, uh, what we call pool testing in the Hispanic community to try and keep a handle on that. And we actually have Spanish and second language folks dealing with um, contact tracing through the through this through the Hispanic community. So it just uh, it amazes me the governor was going to blame the counties about that. And it just amazes me we're not getting a little bit more balance on this and just trying to get back to um, having. Uh, you know, that risk assessment and balance that we should normally have. Shut as hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oops. Oops. So uh, I just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll drop my rant there. I am mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. Um, I, I, I may have to hurry up and get online and sign an online petition or something like that today. But um, I just, it, it's, it's time for a change of leadership somewhere. Uh, but we can, we can move on to some other topics. I had a couple that I'm going to run through them pretty fast because we only have about 10 minutes left in the show here. I wanted to note yesterday that the board of commissioners, you know, physically voted to transfer the property. That's part of our, our, our fairgrounds and event center to our uh, a local um, housing authority for a, um, you know, a great project. I think the project is great. The location is wrong. Um, it's for uh, some permanent supportive housing for families with children that have been previously um, homeless. And uh, unfortunately, citing it there, though, under Oregon law, even though the fairgrounds were there first and they're concert venue and midway are, are yards away from where this property is. Under Oregon law, it doesn't matter that they were there first. Once there's people living on that property, they have a right to sue over the noise and the, the whatever impact the, the fair is having on them. So there, you know, I, it was, I believe, very short-sighted of the board to approve that location for housing families. And I think in the long run, once they're living there, you are going to see problems between the residents of that housing facility and our fair. 
that could eventually be terminal for a fare. So um, I see a, a Amanda's called back in and uh, has a story. Did I, did I, did I were, you, were you listening and something I said gave you a little uh, tweak? Yes, it did. I, I'm sorry to take up so much of your time. And I'll get to that story. I just wanted to comment, too, on what you just said about Oh, you know, there are ways the money involved in a name change for businesses and the government could perhaps be better spent on things like social programs and education. I don't know. That's just one thought. But the story is this. Okay, so I was out at a biker bar with uh, my now ex, and we're sitting there, and, and this guy, he's probably the most racist person I have ever come across. And he just decided that he wanted to get up on his soapbox, and, and I'm listening. And instead of kind of trying to talk to him about my thoughts, I just, because he was, he was on his soapbox about immigration, okay, and how, you know, like the borders should be closed. And so I say to him, I just said, oh, so your last name, that's interesting. Where are you from? And he tells me. And he says, oh, and he traces it back. And he was very proud about the fact that his family could be traced back, you know, New York, some of the first off the boat. So I, I looked at him and I said, oh, so you're an immigrant too. <laughs> well, he did not like that very much. <laughs> And, I mean, we we made our peace and the evening continued. But after we left, my ex, he, he looks at me and he says, you know, these people are dangerous. Don't you ever do that again? You know, because I, <laughs> I do have a tendency to be a little outspoken. But, you know, I'm just I'm just pointing out the facts. And, and it is true. Like, if if we want to really go back and address these things, you know, I mean, let's let's think about how to, a name change isn't going to do it. Like if we want to if we want to return the land to to whom it was stolen from, you know, then let's do it. But I feel like if we're going to just exist with what we have presently, let's invest our money and efforts and time into like social education and programs and caring about one another and understanding the history and not repeating it. Like, don't be an asshole like that guy. And that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, all right. Good, good night. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye, Amanda. Oh, gosh, don't be an asshole. Um, good thing we're internet radio. Otherwise, we'd be getting an FCC fine. <laughs> um, yeah, yes. Uh, no, but that's true. And, you know, what's an interesting if you know anything about um, you know, the history of, of the world, so to speak, um, anyone that lives in North America and the Americas is an immigrant. We all started coming across the land bridge during the ice ages in, in different ways and in, and, in, and in different times. And each successive wave quite often went to war and pushed out people from a prior wave in various areas. And, and it can even be seen in the difference between the Inuits and 
the you know the um, what we consider the Native Americans are very you know were from a latter wave and they actually pushed um, uh, a lot of Inuits out and pushed past them and down into the lower what we consider the lower 48 here um, but you know everybody was at one time an immigrant to this to this area to this land. And uh, yeah, the idea of closing borders is kind of silly. Um, but uh, you know, with a couple minutes we have left, um, I just want to remind folks, you know, that Amanda is a perfect example. If you can take this conversation wherever you want when you call in, and we do have a couple minutes, and if you want to jump in, it's six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. Uh, just remember to press one so Robin knows you want to get in on the conversation. Um, throws a little question mark up on our board, and that way we know we can jump to you directly almost rather than, than having you sit on hold. Um, so again, that's 646-721-9887 and just press one. A um, couple other quick items I just want to mention. Uh, we did look at our housing affordable housing action plan uh, that's being developed um, uh, by, a, group, by a, a big consortium of groups uh, together for Lane County. And one of the things I was a little bit concerned about was the dependence of that plan on government actions um, to, to add housing and, and, and basically government built, government cited, whatever, you know, provided low income housing. And there was so little of the plan that was about how do we free up new construction of homes from the private sector? How do we stimulate the private sector to build more homes to lower the price? More supply, price goes down. Law of supply and demand, right? Right now we have more demand and supply, and, and particularly in, in it pushes people down uh, housing and it's pushing people out the bottom. As far as you know, rental properties in this area are outrageously expensive. So I was a little disappointed I didn't see more of that plan that was about removing barriers and opening up the ability for the private sector to solve this problem. Many public sector um, solutions were in that plan. Along with, I will have to say, I was proud of the parts where they were looking for the religious community to provide some of that, that housing. A limited portion of it, but at least that's, a, that's at least not looking at government, it's looking to nonprofit charitable organizations um, where we used to solve a lot of these things in the past. Um, so, yeah, that kind of covered, you know, what the board went over in some degree. Uh, you know, I, I won't get into things like our, our wildfire, uh, community wildfire pre you know, prevention plan or our, our fire siting standards. We'll save that for another Bo's Nose show because we are just about out of time. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank Amanda for calling in from Kentucky. Uh, no different than the caller that we had from Minneapolis a few, you know, a few weeks back. Um, and it was, you know, it's great to hear from other parts of the country now and then, because sometimes we get kind of uh, centric in our views and myopic a little bit. So it's good to hear from other places. And it was interesting to hear that she didn't never knew that Oregon had the racist past that we do have. Um, so there's a 
an outsider's view of Oregon that would never have thought that we had that racist past because of our current present. So thank you for listening. Um, we'll be back next week with another edition of the Bose Nose Show. Have another board meeting between then. Who knows what the governor might do? We're at 90 straight days of riots in Portland. Maybe we'll be up to 100 by then. I guess it'll only be 97 by then. Uh, so we'll be back next Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week. <laughs>